0: Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 5, covering verses 1 to 16 uh, this morning. I title this morning's message, Ministering to Church Members. And if you don't already have this memorized, because I've actually shared this key verse a number of times with you be a good one to if you want to kind of know why did paul write this letter to timothy he tells us so in chapter 3 verse 15 he says i write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of god which is the church of the living god the pillar and ground of the truth i just love that verse how we should conduct ourselves in the house of God. The church of the living God. The pillar and the ground of the truth. Wow. We have, at least my Bible does anyway, 66 books in the Bible. And in those 66 books that we have in our Bibles, they contain a lot of truth. God's Word is truth. There's a lot of instruction that we also find for life, for godliness, and in God's Word. And there's also a lot of warnings that we see throughout the Word of God. And all of this is put together for our benefit. It's all that we need for life and godliness as Christians. Some people, I think, are of the opinion that they need something more than the Word of God or the words of truth. That there's got to be something more to fix my problems, my issues of life. And what I want to say to us this morning, I believe that everything that we need for every life situation, every trial and tribulation, everything that we encounter in this life is found in the Word of God. Everything we need for that. Every book of the Bible, all 66 books, center around Jesus Christ. He's the theme. In 1 Timothy alone, just in this one letter, this one book or epistle, we've learned about the importance of maintaining sound doctrine or good teaching in the church. Paul exhorted the men of the, in the uh, church to take the lead in prayer. We learned about God's design and the roles for men and women in the church the qualifications for elders and deacons. We saw a warning for Christians about falling away from the faith. Another warning for those who would give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Also to those teachers who were speaking lies of of hypocrisy, whose conscience were seared with a hot iron. We learned about a good minister of Jesus Christ how he should act, and a godly minister, how he should behave. We finished last week with Paul's words in chapter 4, verse 16. Paul says to Timothy, take heed to yourself, Timothy, and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Paul And this letter was speaking to those and many of those who had sinned. Or those who were sinning. Some had even abandoned the truth there in Ephesus. Some concerning the faith had suffered shipwreck. We read. They got off course. Others were aspiring to leadership. But they were never called. Some were teaching doctrines of demons and some living impure lives. But we're also going to see in this letter that the church is also a place of relationships. It's relationships with one another. We have different groups and different situations within the church that often need much wisdom and sometimes correction within the body of Christ. I mean, much of the New Testament written is about correction. We need it. We need to have that correction from God. We come this morning to the fifth chapter where we might divide this chapter up this way. We could divide it in half. Ministering to the church, verses 1-16. to That's what we're going to look at this morning. And then next week, the duty... To the elders and Paul's charge to Timothy. That'll be chapter five. We first see that Paul, in the first two verses, he gives instruction to Timothy concerning the correction of the older and the younger within the church. That's both men and women in the church. Look at your Bibles at verse 1. He says, Timothy, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with all purity. Now practically speaking, Timothy had the oversight of the many church plants that had happened there in the city of Ephesus and even into Asia Minor. But he was also younger in age. It's believed that he could have been 30 to 35 years of age at the time of this letter. There were those in those churches that were obviously older than Timothy. Timothy, as a young minister, had to minister to those and often correct those that were older than himself. There's an element of respect that I believe that Paul is bringing out in these verses here. An element of respect that Timothy was to have towards those that were older in age it's the same kind of respect that we should have to those that are older in age above us. Paul is not saying in these verses that Timothy couldn't correct or rebuke an older man or an older woman or a younger man or a woman, but he needed to exhort them as a father. He needed to exhort them as a mother as a brother or a sister. And he needed to do it in the spirit of gentleness with love and respect. The Greek word that Paul uses here for rebuke is only used one time and it's right here in Timothy. And this particular word that he used means do not rebuke an older man. He's basically saying don't strike upon an older man. Don't strike out with words against an older man. Don't beat upon him. Don't chastise him with your words, Timothy. Timothy needed to be, in other words, tactful in relationships with older men in the church. Don't chastise or don't strike out, strike out at them with rough words, Timothy. Timothy. You see, he had the authority. Timothy had that authority. But he had to also pay respect to those that were older than him. There's another Greek word that we see in this text in verse 20 that's also translated in our English Bibles rebuke. But it's a different Greek word. It means to reprove somebody. It means to convict someone of his sinful state or to bring to light or to expose a fault, or to chasten or to punish. Two different Greek words that he's using. Now the heart of God is always one of coming alongside us. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad how patient He is with you? In your own faults, in your own failures, your own sin, the patience of God The love of God. But God always has it in His heart and mind to restore. He wants restoration in His people. And so this idea of restoration is one of coming alongside another brother or sister in Christ. It's something that we should all possess. A heart of restoration. We never need to be Dictators as Christians. Leadership should never be dictators towards the people. We should be patient like our Lord is. We don't need to talk down to people or be disrespectful. We're to minister with patience and love and respect. But sometimes within the church, someone needs to have a rebuke. Somebody needs to be rebuked. But even in that rebuke, it's always with the intention of restoration. Or at least it should be. Some people like to just get on people with harsh words. And they actually turn people away instead of seeking restoration with that person. In Luke 17, verse 3, we read, Take heed to yourself... If thy brother trespasses against thee, rebuke him. Or another word, reprove him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he trespasses against thee seven times in a day, turn again to him and forgive him. Seven times in a day. How forgiving is God towards you? How forgiving should we be towards one another? Towards our spouse? Towards those in the body of Christ? We're going to do things at times that require correction. But when we come with hearts of repentance, the Lord says, receive them back. Forgive. Forget. Move on. Proverbs 27.5 gives this counsel to us. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You see, a true friend gives helpful constructive criticism. That's what a true friend will do towards another. Be constructive in your criticism. You're seeking restoration. Not to put them down. Not to put them away. But to help them. To see them restored. In Galatians 6.1, Paul says this. Brethren, speaking to Christians, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, he says, restore such a one. And do it in the spirit of gentleness when you do it. Considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Now, there's some things that we need to remember when it comes to correcting. When it comes to rebuking. When it comes to uh, just saying anything to another brother or sister that has been caught up in a a trespass or a, a sin. We need to always remember that before we approach that person that is overtaken in a trespass, we should be praying first. We should lift it up to God. We should be praying during the conversation if we need to. And we need to be praying for that situation afterwards. Bathing that in prayer. That kind of reveals a little bit of our motive of why we do what we do when it comes to trying to strike out at a brother or sister. We need to make sure that God wants you to speak to them. We just don't have the liberty all the time just to go say what we want when we want to anybody. We need to, does God want me to say something? And then what I speak is a truth. What I'm saying to them is their truth in it. And we need to speak with an attitude of love. We need to be direct with the person. And We need to do it in a way that we are desiring that there would be restoration with that brother or sister. That's the right way to do it. Paul is simply giving Timothy some instruction and wisdom on how to handle individuals within the church. He goes on in verse 1, he says, "...but exhort him as a father." Timothy says, appeal to him like you would your own father, Timothy. Like you would approach your own dad. Speak to him, encourage him, but do it in a way that you want to see restoration. Timothy, speak to the younger men as your brothers in the church, and instruct the other elders the same. Speak to the younger men as your brother. Timothy, like you would go to your own brother in love and respect and speak to them. Do the same with those brothers and sisters in the church. Timothy, when you are speaking to the older women in the church, speak to them like you're speaking to your mother. Now this is all contingent on that you speak to your mother well. Or your father well? Or your brother well? But speak to them like you would speak to your mother. Timothy, when you're speaking to the younger women, the sisters in the body of Christ, speak to them as if you're speaking to your sister. Treat them like you would treat your own sister. And do this, Timothy, do it with all purity. He tails that on to the end of that. Do it with all purity. Remember what Paul said to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, Timothy, but be an example to the believers. And then he gives us a list of things in word, the things you say, in conduct, the way you live. In love, the way you love. In spirit, that it would be spirit-led. In faith, and in purity. Timothy, you need to keep yourself pure in the church and outside of the church. We often see Christians within the body of Christ treating their brothers and sisters in Christ differently than they would their flesh and blood brothers and sisters? We need to ask ourselves the question. You know, Am I treating my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ the same as I do my own family of which I say I love? The text here is not specifically Speaking about this, uh, uh, that we would do this on any occasion and every occasion, but that as leaders within the church, that we needed, they needed to have the proper respect in the way that they would handle individuals in the church. But again, he's writing these words of wisdom to Timothy, but in all of these things, they apply to us. So what happens when a younger generation lacks respect for those in the church? We have some younger generations here this morning. We, as parents, need to teach these things to our kids. We teach our children how to respect and to honor those that are older than us. And I think we do well as elders and ministers in the church if we respect those that are older in age, whether it's a man or an older woman. One of the ways, though, that and I'm a father, uh, I've already raised my kids, they're out of the home. But one of the ways that we can teach our children to love and respect older people in the church is... Teach your kids how to serve the elderly. Teach your kids that they don't run to the front of the line and start grabbing all the food before they've seen if there's any older people that should go first. How about opening doors for the elderly? Teaching your kids to do that. You know, how about just teaching them to give the best seat? To somebody that is older than them. Wow, I think, mean, man, what are we talking about here? You know, I mean, these are things and practical things that we should do in training our kids. What are they gonna do when they're old enough and they move out and they have no respect? We teach these things to them when they're younger. In the book of Leviticus, in chapter 19, verse 32, it says, You shall rise before the gray headed and honor the presence of the old man, and fear your God, I am the Lord. Paul is now going to give some instructions to Timothy for the care of the widows within the church. The word widow, which we find 85 times in the Bible, 26 times in the New Testament, we find widow or widows. In there. And a widow is, is a woman who has lost her spouse by death. And, and, it, and it usually is one that he's speaking of here that has not remarried. According to, and I thought this was interesting, but according to the U.S. Bureau of Census, this was in 1999, nearly 700,000 women lose their husbands each year and will be widows for an average of 14 years. The number's higher than that now. But going back to the start of the early church, we see a ministry that was already established for widows in Acts chapter 6. It says that in those days, the number of the disciples was multiplying, the church was multiplying, And there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, the care for the widows at that time. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, Whom we may appoint over this business, the business of ministering to the widows, and the culture of the day, you know, widows—they were taken care of by their husband. They didn't. There wasn't most time two of them out working like we have today, self-supporting, being so. They were really dependent upon their husband, and when their husband passed on, they were left with nothing quite often. And so there was a great need. There wasn't social security. All these various things that people look to today. But we also see Jesus in Matthew 23 pronouncing woes against the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. One of the woes was because they were devouring widows' houses. In verse 14, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive a greater condemnation. We see that today. Widows' houses being devoured. In other words, people taking advantage of the widow. People and even the TV evangelists that you see. And all the widows that are just, you know, clearing out their checking book, checkbook, sending it into the evangelist, taking advantage of it. And these are people that have their conscience that are seared with a hot iron because they take it. And they'll take all of it and as much as they'll give. And Jesus pronounced a woe against them for doing so. James would later write in James 1.27, he says, Peer an undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. It's what the early church was called to do. And it's what the church today is called to do. To take care of the orphans and the widows. The ones that, uh, of the most that struggle at times with being able to take care of themselves. It's the heart of our Lord. It's what pure religion is. It's putting feet to our faith and doing something with those that we see in need. In God's eyes, widows were ones who needed the protection. They needed care. They needed provisions. And they needed the love of the leadership in the church. But there were also ones that were in the church that Paul tells Timothy here, you're not under obligation as a church to go in and take care of other widows. Not all the widows were taken care of. There needed to be widows in the church that the ones that were being cared for that were good examples. Uh, they needed they're needed to meet certain requirements. And that was the responsibility of the elders or the deacons within the church to determine whether or not a widow, in a sense, would qualify for the church to come alongside that widow and to help. You see, everything we see in the Bible, God doesn't leave any stone unturned. He tells us what to do with these situations within the church. But there's a proper way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, honor widows who are what? Really widows. Honor the widows who are really widows. You think, well, if they've lost their husband, aren't they a widow? but who are really widows. To honor them means to respect them. It means to place value upon them. And, and that sometimes came in the way of financial. It came in material things that they would help these widows with. We actually, from that word honor, we get our word English word honorarium. You know, when an honorarium is given to somebody, it's, it's placing a value what, uh, upon what they just did. So what constitutes a real widow? Honor widows who are really widows. Now, Christians typically, they're known for their love, they're known for their care for the poor, for the needy, for the hurting, those people that are destitute, the homeless, the fatherless, and the widows. That's, that that's really becomes kind of our DNA when we become a child of God. We take on the heart of God and this love and this compassion towards the hurting. But we need to be careful that what we do, we're not just being led by heartstrings. That we don't make decisions to do this or do that for somebody unless God is leading it. In light of this, Paul needed to give some guidelines to Timothy. Because there were a lot of widows in the day. There were a lot that needed help and there needed to be some guidelines. There needed to be some instruction to the leaders within the churches of how to handle widows. Many widows in that day, as I've already said, they they couldn't care for themselves. They didn't have the means and the way to really survive quite often. The first scenario that Paul gives in verse 4 needs to be understood by the leadership in the church so that they know what kind of a widow they should take under their care. And he starts out by saying there's a responsibility first off that goes to the widow's children or even the widow's grandchildren. They're the ones that first should be stepping up to the plate to take care of mom and to take care of grandma. They should be the ones doing that. It says in verse 4, but if any widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their, repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Clear instruction. Now, I started looking at some of the laws of the land today. What are some of the laws in the land in regards to taking care of your elderly parents? Are widows, those that have been widowed. Well, there's about, there could be more than this now, but because this is an older date, but there were 29 states anyway that had laws about that. And then I looked on North Carolina. What kind of law does North Carolina have in regards to this issue? This is how it reads. This is a 2005 code, maybe it's changed, but it. Read, it reads this way. If any person being a full age and having sufficient income after reasonably providing for his or her own immediate family shall without reasonable cause neglect to maintain and support his or her parent or parents, if such a parent or parents be sick or not able to work and have not sufficient means or ability to maintain or support themselves, such as a person, such a person shall be deemed guilty of a class two misdemeanor. Upon conviction of a second or subsequent offense, such person shall be guilty of a class one misdemeanor. Misdemeanor. I say that right. North Carolina law. It sounds like there's a a little bit of an obligation to the family to take care of those things. The problem is, and what I read about these 29 states, there's only like two states that really enforced it. That's the problem with, with those kinds of laws. Paul says in this verse, you are under obligation in repaying your parents for the care that they gave you. You know, when they fed you, put a roof over your head, bought you clothes. In other words, we need to take care of them because they raised us and took care of us. And some of them, well, man, they didn't do a very good job. You know, they didn't do good at that. And they maybe some of them didn't. But we're still under obligation to take care of them. Paul says it's first the duty of the children and even the grandchildren to take care of their parents in their old age. I'm speaking to my kids right now. This is good. It's your obligation. Then he goes on and he says, he he says, let them first learn to show piety at home, and to repay their parents. Now, I believe this is a lesson that we should be teaching our children from a young age. It has to do with reverence and respect in the home for mom and dad first. Paul says the duty or the responsibility for this should first be at the home And then when the children and even the grandchildren come to learn that their mother or grandmother has no means of adequately caring for herself, they would feel and know the responsibility of that. It's what we should do for mom and for grandma. A good example, well, in verse 5, let's look at verse 5. Now, she who is really a widow... Again, he says really a widow. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Really a widow means that there really is a need. You know, if there's not really a need, then they weren't to be a widow taken into the care of the church. She had no living family or no family members who were able to help her in any way. But, we go on, but it goes on to tell us, but she needs to be a godly woman. She needs to be one who is trusting in her God. And she's known for her prayer life. And then she needs to continue in supplication of prayer, and it says day and night. She's a woman of prayer. She's steadfastly looking to her God. Now, she who is really a widow, and then he goes on to give this requirement of what you should look for. This was the job of the elders, the deacons, to assess those situations. I have to assess those things all the time. Our phone gets phone calls all the time. We have needs in the church, but I have to assess those things all the time. Now, a good example of the kind of widow that we read about here in verse 5, we find it in Luke's Gospel in chapter 2. It's Anna the prophetess. This is what it says of her. Now, there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Penel, of the tribe of Asher. And it says that she was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about eighty four years. So put those numbers together in your head. This is a widow that is a hundred years, or you know, she's a little over a hundred years old, who did not depart from the temple, were said of her. She did not depart. Here she is, this widow, she did not depart from the temple but served God with fasting and prayers. And it says night and day, just like what Paul is saying here. Serving in the temple with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all who look for redemption in Jerusalem. Here's Anna. This example, this model of a widow. That it was just serving and continuing to serve, even in her older age, in the body of Christ. You know what's amazing to me is we have some of our, I'll call them our elderly, that come to this church. They come here weekly. They clean this church. They vacuum this church. They do all kinds of tasks around this church. I see it. A lot of you don't, but you know what? Sometimes the elderly in a church, man, they're they're the workers. They do things that sometimes shame the younger ones. And then, you know, it's like, well, well, let me take the vacuum from you. Let me, you know, because they're in here serving diligently the Lord. They deserve our respect and honor. Look what it says in verse 6 but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. We're talking about widows here. What type of widow qualifies for the church to take her in and to minister to her, but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives? This word pleasure actually is a word that means to live in luxury. It means to indulge oneself, to live in pleasure on the earth, eating and drinking, in indulging oneself in luxurious living. What Paul is saying here is that we're not taking in widows that are living that kind of a lifestyle. We're not taking them under the umbrella of the church and ministering to them financially and helping them out when they're living in that manner of living. That she is dead while she lives means that she is a woman that has in a sense, become insensitive to the things of God. It's not like Hannah, who is remaining in the temple, praying day and night and fasting. and doing, You know, No, she's in her luxurious living. So in other words, as Christians, there are times that we do and there are times that we don't. Paul says the church is not under obligation to her. Verse 7, and these things command, he tells Timothy, these are the things I, will, I command you or I charge you, Timothy, that they, these family members, will see that their duty to the widowed mothers is their responsibility that they may be blameless. This is what I want you to tell them, that it's first the responsibility of the family members that they may be blameless. Verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his own, he's talking about his own house, and especially for those of his household, speaking about his own kindred, kindred, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is some harsh language, isn't it? Worse than an infidel, as the King James puts it. Worse than an unbeliever. Just because they're not taking care of mom and grandma as she's been widowed. You see, God puts a lot upon this, the response. Why? It's characteristic of who we are as Christians. It's what we should be like, it's what we should do. You see, even unbelievers are often kind enough and responsible enough to care for their family members. They're not even Christians and they do it. How much more should the body of Christ be reaching out to their own family? But those who are believers, they're the ones that know their obligation to their family. They know it. Paul says, the one that doesn't do that has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul, in the book of Titus, in chapter 1, verse 16, he says, there are some that profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. And so we know that what's characteristic of a Christian is not always seen in Christians. They profess that they are, but their works say something differently. That's not a good place to be in. We could sum up everything that I've said so far by putting it this way. If the family members can provide for their own, then they should do it. If there is no family to provide, then such older widows may be supported by the church if they are godly women devoted to serving Christ. If they are living for pleasure, then the church has no responsibility to provide for their material needs. That's just a summary of what we just looked at. Paul goes on to give some further requirements for widows that would be supported by the church. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number or chosen, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work, wow poor widows I mean there's that's a lot of requirements isn't it? I mean can any widow get supported and helped by the church sixty years or older we'll learn we'll see more about that in verses eleven to fourteen but The wife of one man. Now, the interpretation that makes most sense to me in this is that she would be a widow of one husband and would remain a widow. Like Anna the prophet, she was married for those seven years and then her husband died. She remained a widow, but she served in all those years in the church. Well, reported for good works, which just simply says she needs to have good character and a reputation. She has brought up children, whether these were her own children or other children, but she has done this in the proper manner with children. She has lodged strangers, in other words, she's hospitable even toward the strangers and taking people in. It's characteristic of a Christian. If she has washed the saints' feet, and I don't know that it's necessarily speaking literally, though it could be, but literally or non-literal, she has washed and served the saints within the body of Christ. She has relieved the afflicted. A person who has been ready to furnish and relieve the afflictions of others. That's how she is. That's who she is. If she has diligently followed every good work, and I believe that it's here speaking that she's just being sincere. She's being a friend to all that is good. And to every good work and every cause, this is... Really, what Paul says, these are eight more requirements to look for if you're going to take a widow into the care of the church. That list that we just read here, it's a good list, isn't it? Is there any one of those things that Paul just said there concerning the widows that shouldn't apply to us? Those are all good things. The church was never intended to meet every need no matter what the conditions are. The, the, the problem with, with us as Christians, if you want to call it a problem, is that we have heartstrings that get tugged on all the time. You know, we're Christians. That's what we should do. We should. We should. I would rather err on doing something and find out, well, maybe the Lord really wasn't in me doing that for him. I'd probably rather err on that than to hold back and never do anything for anyone. But at the same time, we need to be led in what we do and not just give out and do whatever. And it's kind of like, you know, every person you drive by that's homeless, or, you know, you're handing out money as you're going along, is God leading that? We need to be careful. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 3:10, he says, "For even when we were with you, Paul's talking about himself and and Silas. He says, We commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now these who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Paul's giving instruction to the church at Thessalonica about those that say I I need food, I need this, I need that. I need money. But I don't like working. I don't want to work. I like doing this instead. That's why we have to be led of the Lord. What is God directing us to do? Look at verse 11 back in our text. But refuse the younger widows. Oh, refuse the younger widows for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. Now, here's a young woman that has been widowed and she desires to marry again. Nothing wrong in scripturally. There's nothing wrong with her doing that. To go out and be remarried, as a matter of fact, it might be the best thing for her to do is to be remarried. So he's not saying to refuse them just on that basis, but when they begin to grow wanton, having verse twelve, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith, they lose their husband and 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 things just you know. Life has just been changed up and all of a sudden they they start going off in a different direction. Paul is not saying that the church should reject these young widows. Uh, They still need to be ministered to. Paul is saying though, if they don't fall into the class of the widows that he just prescribed before this, that... The church is not under the obligation to care for these widows or these younger widows. It's quite a list, isn't it? Just dealing with widows. I mean, when we're done with this year, you go, know, yeah, I know what we should do with widows. For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ and they desire to marry. There's a danger especially probably for the younger widows, uh, to lose their husbands and, and, and all that goes along with that and to, to get their eyes off of Christ. And it's usually during these times that they become vulnerable. Sometimes making the wrong decisions. Taking the wrong course. Sometimes they, they remarry and sometimes the situations there are not good. This word wanton describes a person who is wandering, roving. Uh, they're, they're moving about, flying loosely is how that word is described. I don't know what all that looks like exactly, but they're just not focused on where they used to be on Christ. And it says, and besides, verse 13, they learn to be idle. Wandering, there's a word, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. And this is like real direct stuff, isn't it? I mean, learn to be idle. In other words, their lack of desire and commitment to Christ has changed. They have fewer responsibilities. I don't have a husband anymore. You know, and, and, and now i am just, you know, kind of gotten a little bit lazy in my walk, too. I mean, these are things that lead to other kinds of problems, don't they? Any of you ever had some idle time? <laughs> and the things that go on in idle time? Not usually good. You know, it's usually when all this stuff's going on in your head. Got a lot of time, not too much responsibility. Not keeping busy in the temple. Not praying day and night. Not doing the. We're just a lot of idle time going on. Not a good place to be. Paul is saying these younger widows are not the responsibility for the church to take in, to take care of. They probably they they probably will remarry. And then that new, but it doesn't mean we don't minister to them. Therefore, verse 14 I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Whether she is with her husband still, or she has passed on, she still needs to be a mother. If she's a widow, she's still a mother. She's still a homemaker. And she still needs to be concerned with her witness. Oh, when my husband, when I was just, you know, I was really doing well in the Lord. After my husband passed, man, I just, you know, I just went by the wayside. I let I wasn't, you know, To maintain a good testimony and a good witness. It's for those women that they've lost it. but They maintain, they continue, they steady on in their walk with the Lord. It makes me think of where would any one of us be whether we are a husband or a wife? We lose our spouse. And where do our eyes go? Will, they, will we press on just as hard as we are when our spouse was alive? Or will we go off in other directions and kind of just start toying? Idle time, no response, and we start doing things. Not a good place to be. He says in verse 15, for some, it doesn't say all, for some have already turned aside after Satan. Man, hard. Real direct. This verse may take us back to verse 13 speaking about the one who never did have genuine faith. And there are some. Oh, they were in the church. They're widowed now. Uh, They're not even walking with the Lord. Did they ever know the Lord? What is the response? Because see, all of this has to do with what is the responsibility that the church has in these situations. Paul really dispels all the different kinds of thinkings that people could have and what responsibility the church has to that. Paul closes this section in verse 16, and we'll close uh, our study with this with a final word. He says, If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are what? Really widows. In other words, the resources that you're going to put out on those that really don't fall under what a widow is, for care anyway. If they have family members that are doing it, then let them do it so that the resources of the church would go towards those that were really widows and the ones that were really in need. I believe that for any church, that we have a responsibility to care for one another. Whether you're a, a widow, uh, whatever situations, we do that as the body of Christ. We minister to one another, e- even if all of this, you know, they don't fall under this particular criteria. We are called to minister to the body of Christ but we're to do it in wisdom. And we're to do it led of the Holy Spirit. That's what I take away from this. We already know from Scripture that our Lord's heart is towards the orphans and the widows. This is not a strong statement to try to weed them all out. But it is requirements that Paul is giving Timothy To say, these are the things that you should look for. When you're wrestling as a leader in the church as to whether or not you should be coming alongside so-and-so, these are the things you should look for. It'll help you in making your decision of what you should do and not do.